What's up, guys? Welcome in to your Tuesday edition of the OBR Film Breakdown. Have a great guest with us, Jared Mueller, who we'll get to in mere moments. Until then, and talk about the OBR's website where we have a couple different things that came up. Barry McBride made his return to covering the Newswire. It's much celebrated by those who are devoted listeners and readers. They uh, much prefer his version of the Newswire to mine. That is available. And we had a couple different things go up uh, Sunday over the weekend. Edge Defenders uh, GM chairs up. And then we also had looking ahead from Fred Greetham at the Browns Specialists. That is up. So the special teams expectations for 2022. And then lastly, Jack Duffin put up 15 uncuttable offensive players. So he's looking at roster construction from contracts and all of that stuff. So 15 players on offense that Jack believes cannot be cut. You have to be a VIP to read it. Make sure you check it out. Returned to Twitch last night for your Monday night edition. That was Michael Keefe from Garage Beer stepping in with Ian McBride. That's available for a replay if you should so choose. And then tonight on Tuesday night, we will have the Garage Beers podcast themselves. Make sure to check that out at nine o'clock. Okay. So if you did not listen to yesterday, I wrapped up the wide receiver room, put a bow on all of those end of the roster UDFA types. Talked to Keem Grant, talked um, Jamarcus Bradley, kind of anybody in between uh, Javon Wims, those veterans fighting for that sixth role. And we also touched on Mike Woods, the six round pick as well. So that position is done. You can feel free to go back and check those out, including separate podcasts on Amari Cooper and uh, DPJ, and then a separate podcast for the next two guys, Anthony Schwartz and David Bell. So yeah, check those out if you'd like. We're going to talk tight ends, and I'm going to welcome in Jared Mule to talk tight ends. And man, it's an it's not. Uh, I, I don't think I could split this in two, Jared. We got to do this in we got to do this in one episode. There's not enough guys to talk about here, which is a kind of maybe points to a little bit of a cultural shift for the Browns' offense, right? It, it's really strange, right? Tight end is you know you're like, wow, are they going to have four or five right you know like and now it's are they gonna have three you know and who is the third even gonna be it's it's a really yeah. interesting really interesting shift really it is i mean it's it's the browns have been one of the highest 12 and they could still be a very high 12 personnel team but they're they were certainly the highest 13 personnel team over the last two years so that is set to change i cannot see them trotting out whoever the third tight end here kind of the leader in the clubhouse is miller forestall who we'll talk about in a little bit but that third tight end, I cannot see them getting a bunch of snaps. It's just, and, and again, that's a reminder that like 130 snaps will lead the NFL in 13 personnel. But, you know, that's like 50 snaps or so that you could commit to 12 or 11. I personally think they're going to live a lot in 12 personnel because of these first two tight ends with an uptick in 11. Uh, but just they really are going to like to have these two on the field, partly because of a couple of different reasons we'll get to. We'll start with David and Joku, though. OK, so. We all have been um, through the ringer on David this offseason. We uh, saw his initial request for a certain number after they gave him the franchise tag, the back and forth on what that number would be, and then they ultimately settle on a contract, right? That contract, came, I would say this is the contract because they signed Denzel and some other moves they made, obviously one in particular we've talked about ad nauseum. Uh, this was a contract that originated from the Browns giving a player from their own situation a an extension. Not many people liked it, partly because he obviously has not contributed in a meaningful, meaningful way in the passing game in a couple of years. And people just don't think the value is there. But nonetheless, the Browns gave him a $54.75 million contract, $17 million fully guaranteed. We know that the cap number is going to be shallow for the first two years, 3.3 and 8.3 in 22 and 23, then 24, 25, 26, it jumps 
from 18.3 to 19.1. And we do all figure that there will be some ways of maneuvering that cap number by converting it into bonuses. But nonetheless, the Browns are tied to Njoku, in my opinion, through around 2025. That would put him close to his age 30 season, and he would have been in Cleveland for a significant amount of time. Uh, But that is the plan. We're going to get this guy in. We're going to pay him pretty well. We'll manipulate the cap number a little bit here and there where we can. But for the most part, we need this guy to produce. There needs to be an uptick. He is 6'4", 250, every bit of muscle. He can do it. He can run. He can catch the football when he's hyper-focused. And I think the catching stuff's a little exaggerated. I do think he has an over-the-head. Um, sorry, I, I always confuse the, somebody else I, I talked about catching issues. Anytime the ball is uh, in, in a manner in which he has to turn the hands over, anything below sort of the belly button, start to get concerns about David. You will see focus drops every now and again. But again, I do think he's cleaned that stuff up. So he goes into this year, he turns 26 in just a few days, uh, July 10th. So he'll play this year at 26. I feel good about David. I think David's on the path to having a nice year. Just give me your overview of of where you think he's going this year, Jared. Yeah, I mean, Njoku is such a really interesting uh, character to talk about, right? You you have a player who, in his second year, had 56 receptions, 639 yards as a you know 22-year-old, a really young player. And then, you know, he has a good game. I believe it was Baltimore. He had a, a good game where he looked like he was starting to come out. And then he got hurt in 2019. And then things just really didn't come together, right? They signed Austin Hooper in 2020, really made him the primary tight end. And then last year, you know, we know Baker Mayfield, the injury, all of that, the the offense didn't hum. And so there's a lot of reasons to point to, man, if 2018 – if going into 2019, there wasn't that injury and and then Hooper doesn't come on board, you know, we could be talking about a player who really did earn this contract. But just looking at him on the field, you look at a really athletic player. You're right about the catches. I love that you're really breaking down where the catches are. I remember Greg Little could not catch the ball if he wasn't coming back to the quarterback. Just could not catch a ball, you know, on those nine routes or post routes, those kind of things. But if he was... If it was a curl or something like that, he was great. Um, and so just figuring out where he, he plays well. Um, I, I just think Njoku is, is an athletic freak, and there's no reason he shouldn't be producing. He just hasn't produced since his second year in the league, and that leads to a lot of questions. So, yeah, the, I mean, the thing that people don't talk about enough when you look at tight ends, everybody just focuses on the stats, mm-hmm. right? Everyone focuses on the pass catching numbers, and while I get that, there is a complete other element here of the position, which is blocking. David has gotten continually better at blocking, in my opinion. He had his best marks overall of his career last year. He's continued to improve. I'm going to check real quick by position his his uh, overall blocking grades. Yep. I like breaking it down here by tight ends to get you a feel for everybody else across the league. I don't really look at pass blocking grades for tight ends because the the volume of those pass blocking grades is so low. So when you look at run blocking, you want to get about – 20% of the 55, 555 rep number that shows you your tight ends who played a significant amount of snaps. And David was right about a 60, 64 points, something like that. Uh, he was, it's the same grade as Austin Hooper. It's in the, it's in the middle of the group. There's a, there's a top 50 here. Actually, I think we might be able to even go further. So yeah, there's 85 tight ends. He is right there with Austin Hooper last year. And again, you, you, tell yourself Austin Hooper's a significantly better blocker. Hooper struggled in 
pass blocking reps. He didn't have a ton of them, but he struggled in them. But anyway, David and Austin were, were 64, which is 27th and 28th in the league. So it's respectable. He's gotten it to a respectable level. David is not a guy keen on blocking. And again, the, the, the fourth highest grade overall in run blocking and all the way up to the second highest grade, John Bates, who's that blocking specialist there in, in Washington, had an 87.6, but a 77.3 number is, is second overall, and David's a 64. So it's not like it's that far off to be all the way up the charts. So I would say that that has significantly improved. I think he's done a nice job. As we're talking about here, he has to improve as a pass catcher to be notif- like rec- recognized across the NFL as being one of the dudes, right? Like he's really got to... He's really got to get there. So I think we can definitely agree that consistency in uh, his his pass game production, right? If the, if, the, if there's an uptick in targets, right? Look at 2018, right. 83 targets, 56 catches. What we want to see him improve upon is making catches in space and creating yards after catch. We've seen encouraging things happen. We've seen the, the Chargers breakaway touchdown catch. We saw Bengals. Uh, breakaway play his I think 2018 season we need more of that we need more of making somebody miss in space breaking a tackle and creating yards after catch he has only had a maximum of 315 in a given season that's his high number he had 126 in 2020 and 252 in 2021 largely because 50 of them came on one play right against (laughs) the Chargers so the drop numbers have gotten better. He's had he had eight drops his 2018 season. That was a high number, and again, that's because the targets were up. But the drops have stayed relatively in check. I mean, he had drop percentages of 12, 28, and 11. He only had a 5.3 drop percentage number last year. Only two drops. So he's a contested catch guy. He's right about 50 percent for his career in the contested catch number. You like that? His last year where he got that high volume, he forced 10 missed tackles. Can he get better at that? Right. So we talk about what is a bad, good, and great outcome. A great outcome is he, in my opinion, Jared, pushes 70 catches, 800 yards, 900 yards. I think 900, a great, a great, let me put it this way, a great outcome he gets over 1,000 yards. He is like a 90 catch, 1,000 yard, 10 touchdown tight end, right? That's what yep. you're kind of paying him to do. Hypothetically, that would be a great outcome. A good outcome is getting up over the 800 clip. He about 70 catches to 75 catches, 800 and plus yards, eight touchdowns. A bad outcome to me is a replication of last year where he's 40 catches, 45 catches, 450 to 500 yards and four touchdowns. Like that's not good enough. They need that to be better. Do you agree with those numbers or do you think that we should upper, upper, you know, go up or go down on those? You know, I think it's a little high in yardage just based on uh, how strong of a run game the Browns have. I think really what I'm looking at is, yeah, he's going to need that yardage, right? And so a good season, we're talking, you know, in that 700s for me, but he's going to need the touchdowns, right? So for a good season, we're talking, you know, 700 yards, somewhere in that range, where we're talking that six, seven, you know, maybe eight touchdowns. A great season is where we get into that, maybe that nine, 10 or above. And maybe you're talking that 850, 900 range for me again for yardage. And then a bad season. I think you're right on point. That four touchdown, 500 yard season. Again, I don't care who the quarterback is, right? At some level, at a base level, David Njoku is the Browns' number two wide receiver. Call him whatever you want to call him. And we're talking about tight ends, but he is their number two wide receiver and, and should be used that way, right? We're not talking 53 targets. We are talking that 80, 90, 100 targets. That's how he should be used. And if he use, if he's used in that way, we need to see those numbers really increase 
obviously, if we have Watson, we know statistically, I believe it was 24 of Watson's touchdowns went to tight ends. And we weren't talking about players anywhere near Njoku's talent, uh, physical gifts, or even really, even though it's limited, uh, his production on the field. So I think for me, the touchdown number really offsets a little bit of kind of the yardage that you're talking about, because that's where I think he needs to make his biggest impact. I'm with you. Touchdown stuff increasing would be significantly great, especially considering the the first half of the year, they're going to be without Watson, no doubt about it. And they're going to be putting themselves in the red zone quite often through the run game. And can you convert some of those through throwing? And you also need him to continue to be steady as a run blocker, obviously. And then when he does get the occasional pass blocking rep, I mean, his pass blocking reps have never exceeded 55. He had 55 pass blocking reps in one season. I mean, he's never going to have a time. I mean, why so, would you want Njoku blocking on a passing down very often, right? Like you want yeah. your best athletes out there. And I think it's important to remember, you know, he was a ball of clay when he came out, right? He was underdeveloped in pretty much everything. Probably was going to be a, a, a high second round or somebody the Steelers were rumored to wanting wanting to take him in the first round. Instead, took T.J. Watt. That's kind of fun to think about. And so, <laughs> you know, that second year is really impressive when you realize who he was as a rookie and also try to remember, because it sometimes gets a little complicated, who the heck was coaching that team, who was the quarterback, who was the offensive coordinator in 2018. And so there, that's where I get a little bit of that hope is things have not gone his way over the last couple of years, especially with Hooper being involved. But I think you're right. I think you're going to see hopefully that uptick, uh, whether it is Brissett, Watson, you know, or, or go crazy with the Mayfield, Garoppolo, whatever other player, Cam Newton, you want to talk about. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, I'm going to let you go crazy on those. But for now, <laughs> let's uh let's shift. Let's go over to um let's go over to Harrison Bryant. So he's their second guy. And what I find interesting about Harrison Bryant is you got to look at he had 42 backfield snaps last year. 
I don't think Andy Janovich had a ton either. I'm not going to look up Andy Janovich, but I know he did not get a ton of snaps. So they have a uh, situation here, right? When they look at their roster structure, and it gets a little interesting because, okay, if you're keeping four tight ends, maybe keeping a fullback isn't something that you would do. But if you're keeping three tight ends, a fullback becomes like, yeah, we can keep a fullback. Maybe that's what they do, but I don't think there's a need because I do think Harrison Bryant can handle it. And I do think if you have Johnny Stanton on your practice squad, he can come up and be your fullback if something happens to Harrison during the season. I think he's a willing player in the backfield. He can handle it. He is, uh, from grade to grade perspective, I think he's had, I think he's his first year run blocking was better than his second year. I think he's got to throttle it down a little bit, do a bit better job in terms of of how he settles into initial contact and maintaining that contact balance. I did not think he was very great at it his second year. I know he was a little dinged up, but there's no excuse, right? We hold others accountable for injuries, have to do the same for him. So he's ready to take a step in that department, in my opinion. He's still young. This is a continued example of why the Browns pick young players. He's in his third year in the NFL now, just turned 24 on April 23rd. So he's extremely young. A lot of room to still improve. He should get an uptick in role. I think that's pretty obvious. He has, uh, throughout his career, been a respectable offensive player. I don't think he's ever been a guy that's going to put up a ton of numbers, especially as a third tight end. Even in Cleveland, who's giving you a lot of opportunity as a third tight end, he has not launched. But he's been okay, right? He said he had 37 targets in his rookie year, 24 catches, three touchdowns, 238 yards. He actually produced better and fewer targets as past year where he had 28 targets, 21 catches and three touchdowns last year as well. And I think he got better. He dropped the football less. He did not have the fumbling issue. He had his rookie year. I do think an under discussed player to take a nice step is Harrison Bryant, because I think he plays extremely hard. He's not the most physically gifted guy in the world, but he plays extremely hard. He's where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. And you want your second tight end to just be a, Hey man, run this corner route and catch the ball because we know they're not going to cover you in this coverage. You know, he's not a guy that has to create. He is what Austin, he is a, to me, he's a replication of Austin Hooper, but he's a fourth round rookie playing on a cheap deal. (laughs) He'll be where he's supposed to be. He'll catch the football as long as it's delivered in his, a decent, uh, you know, vicinity of his, doesn't have a a crazy catch radius, but he can get the football. Um, I think he's extremely reliable. And I, and I do think that he is a replication of Hooper you put him behind Njoku now, you pay him a significantly less amount of money and hope that he can just keep developing. I think he's a guy you like to have in your organization, too. He seems like a hard worker, team-oriented. I think it's a nice one-two punch here. What are your thoughts on Bryant going into year three? Yeah, I think he did a great job describing Bryant as, you know, he's really, um, you know, he's the tight end version of Rashard Higgins, right? He's a player who's going to do what he does. He's going to have a game every once in a while. He's going to excite you every once in a while. But most likely, he's he's one of those players that hits free agency after his fourth year, probably not going to be returning on any kind of big contract, but maybe they find a year or two more with him. But he's a player who does exactly what you expect him to do. Uh, and there's something to consistency. It's one of the reasons Baker Mayfield loved Rashard Higgins. He did exactly what you knew he was going to do. You never had to guess. Higgins never seemed to be reading a defense. He just did exactly what he was supposed to do. And that worked out really well. And I think that's kind of what Harrison Bryant does. He's, I would say anybody is, well, anybody that's in the NFL and plays a a tight end or wide receiver position is faster than Austin Hooper was in his two years on the Cleveland Browns. I think Bryant is a little bit faster, a little bit quicker, um, but, but that's not saying a ton than Hooper 
Um, and I think you're right. He, he can do a little bit. It was interesting to see. I felt like he was able to keep his pad level low when he was in the backfield, which is something you really want to look at. He's six, five, right? This is not a six, two tight end, but at six, five, he was able to keep his pad level low, uh, which gives you some diversity and some flexibility there. So again, you're looking, you know, you start, we talk about great, good, uh, and bad. I think bad would be just kind of the same thing, right? In that 20 range of reception, still low 200s, one or two touchdowns. Like I think for Austin, you know, that for, I'm sorry, I almost called him Austin Hooper. For Harrison Bryant, that's kind of what we're looking at for Not bad. wrong. Same guy. <laughs> same oh, guy, man. yeah. Um, I think good. You're not looking at a huge uptick, but you're looking at that 450-ish area, four or five touchdowns, um, you know, something like that. Uh, as well as I think it would be really good for the roster if Bryant does give them some more flexibility. Again, go crazy, but that six, seven wide receiver versus, you know, having to have the fullback or having to have that fourth tight end because, you know, Bryant can play a little bit of fullback. I think that's added to kind of that good. If you can get that 450 kind of range with yardage, you know, the targets are in the 40s, low 40s, you know, and and again, four or five touchdowns. You know, obviously a great season probably means there's some injuries to some other players. If we're being just very honest, Uh, that means he's probably pushed up into a role because Cooper and Joku, even Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, are not one of them or two of them are not healthy. Um, I think that's probably the only way, unless like you talked about, he's just totally ignored in the offense and he's getting that six, seven, eight touchdowns, but still only at about 30 or so uh, receptions. He's just kind of this red zone uh, magnet because everybody else is taking attention. For sure. I'd like to see him get up to 45, 50 targets, probably pushing closer to 30 catches, 35 catches, 400 yards. Like a great outcome is him just being, he turns into this one, two punch and they go 800, 600 or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen without Watson, but if he could get to the 400 range, get a little bit more consistency. I mean, he had five games, sorry, six games of really strong grades. And then he had several in the middle of those one, two, three, four, five, six also, where he was really poor. So he needs to find a, an uptick in consistency now in year three in the league. He's only making a million dollar cap number. He's not making much money. He's going to be here for two years. It's a, a guy that I think has a genuine uh, chance to be extended, not in a means of like, hey, man, we're going to pay this guy a ton of money, but he's young. His contract will be of interest at the end of next year, at the mid beginning of next year. He'll only be 25. Can you work out a cheap deal with him? I think you could do something like that. Consistency in your scheme, the right type of guy. I like him. I think he's a fine player for your second tight end because he's a try hard as a, as a blocker. And to me, that's a huge part of it. And, um, you know, I, I just I just think he's a good player and I think that they can get more out of him this year. And I think he's got a real chance to be a breakout guy. So those two are clear locks. Now we start to talk about like, <laughs> OK, who's left, man? Um, if you look at the Browns roster, it's hyphenated last name. Hell, it really is. I mean, it is like if you look at it, it's it's bad it's 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 a group that none of us know much about so if you're expecting to get this podcast we are like hey man i learned about all okay you know you're gonna get the names we know miller forestall he was around last year he's an alabama guy he was an undrafted free agent to the titans he ends up in cleveland through waivers uh gets uh gets a couple games of live action he gets the baltimore game he plays 10 total snaps has uh i think a chance let me see here if he got any targets in that game i don't believe he got any targets in that game but uh, we can go back and check that out it does uh, not while appear you're that he while you're doing any, but... that 
Um, yeah. he, he, his college picture, he resembles an awful lot of, uh, Ryan Gosling from remember the Titans. Uh, there's a picture on Alabama's website where he's just kind of looking off in the distance and he looks a lot like, uh, Ryan Gosling's, uh, character from remember the Titans. <laughs> yeah. He's got that look. He definitely does a swooped over Southern guy, Alabama. Yeah. He's got all that going on. All those stereotypes, Miller, Forrestal. He did not, like I said, did not get a ton of game action, but if you're looking at the roster and you're saying they got to keep three tight ends, this seems to be the guy they're going to keep. He's 24. He's going to play this year at 24. He just turned 24 in March. So this is the odds on favorite. But again, there are a slew of others that will get a chance that are intriguing athletes. Marcus Santos Silva, the kid from Texas Tech, the UDFA, never played football at the college level, played hoops at Texas Tech. Athletic guy. Hey, they're taking a shot. We'll see what he looks like in camp. I have zero to give you insight. Decent little basketball player, but don't know what that's going to be on a football field. Zaire Mitchell, Mitchell Payton from Florida Atlantic, a 22-year-old. So on the younger side, a reminder, Marcus Santos Silva's 25, so he's older. Um, Zaire Mitchell Payton's younger, 22. He did not have much college production, right? 6'5", 260. Yeah, there's actually, I've been trying to find more information. It looks like he went to Notre Dame College. Prior to that, where he That's did have right. some, That's yeah, right. so he did have some significant production, uh, 90 passes, 1,200 yards. Not uh, the Notre Dame you're thinking of. We're, we're talking yeah. about Notre Dame up near Cleveland, which is a D2. Are they a D2? I believe uh, I get not, lost. In, they're not yeah, FCS, and they're, they're not, not even, yeah. in, uh, what is it called, uh, NAIA. So, yeah, they're a D2 up there. Yep. And then he spent the one year at FAU. Um, Nine receptions, 90 yards at a touchdown, 6'5", 270. Could be a transition to offensive line if this doesn't work out with his size and probably athletic ability given his you know position as a tight end. Uh, not a lot to go off of. There's not a lot of Notre Dame college film out there. Uh, no. If you want to get on the trade market, I'm sorry. It's not probably not out there. Not out there. Um, the only other name is another hyphenated name is Nakia Griffin-Stewart who has a little bit of experience. He's out of Pittsburgh. He's also 25. He's been around the league a year. He did have one game where he had a couple snaps week 16 for Kansas city. Um, he, uh, he was originally brought in by Minnesota, but played for Kansas city at three snaps as an inline tight end last year, week 16. Do not know much about him. We can check his preseason from last year and see if there's anything of note here. He had quite a few snaps there, so we can check some of his uh, offensive production in those games. Let's see if we can see some of the receiving metrics for him. He had um, against the Patriots in preseason game three, he caught three targets for 30 yards. So if you want to go back and check that out, you can. He had six inline snaps and eight slot snaps. He had a long of 13 yards. So, I mean, you know, he's, he's at least been around the NFL a little bit, but you can see where we are looking at the third tight end. It's hard to envision that position being, I mean, they could do the Johnny Stanton route, the hybrid situation, but like, it's hard to see these, this player Miller Forrestal or Nakia Griffin Stewart seem to be like the leaders in the clubhouse here. It's hard to see that being a very serious player. And it's certainly not a guy that I want on the field. And I'm a little worried if you have to find Miller Forrestal on the field. So if one of David or Harrison gets hurt, you're living in 11 personnel. So you know, this is a weird tight end year for the Browns. Maybe they're going to draft and there's a fun, a couple fun tight ends coming out in the draft that they could get crazy on in the second round. But I don't envision them using their first premium pick because they don't have a first rounder on a tight end. So 
it just feels like it's David and it's it's Harrison and they're going to figure it out. This is a position too that we should say Jared is like a high uh, players cut, right? Like the end of yeah. the preseason cut where they claim a guy and give them an opportunity to be the third tight end and potentially get better. But yeah, I'm not I'm not after the first two it is whoa, it's like off the cliff. I don't know what it's going to look like there. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting if this is going to be where you know, these are all, I mean, Njoku is the smallest of their tight ends, right? Like 6'4", everybody else is 6'5", or uh, Santos Silva is 6'6". Again, Njoku is the smallest of all their tight ends, he's, and he's hulking, right? Uh, but I, it's interesting to see if this is where you find, you know, some special teams play, or or is this where, you know, I think the Browns offensive line is pretty loaded with just straight numbers, Right the Michael Dunn's and the Drew Forbes and the Chris Hubbard's and the Blake Hanson, you know, Jimmy Hudson or James Hudson, the third, right. Then uh, Ethan Polsick. I know this isn't the offensive line conversation. I'm just trying to see if I know all the freaking players they have there. Um, but I wonder if that's an area where, you know, whether it's offensive line, uh, maybe somewhere on, you know, the defensive back room where they use some of their depth to find a third tight end or find someone who can compete with Harrison Bryant. Um, because I just don't think they're going to be able to keep at least all the names that we know on, the, especially on the offensive line. So you're right. This is where we could see some of that transaction, uh, whether that's to get a tight end uh, or, you know, more draft picks so that they can draft one next year. It's really going to be interesting, right? There is no, no one, which is why you, you think that Santos Silva really from a, if there's no one good, why don't we take the guy with the most upside? Yeah. Right. Especially yeah. if he shows smooth, you know, ability. That's what I've heard from, you know, the offseason is he looks smooth in routes. Uh, probably not going to do much in blocking right now. Uh, has a lot to work on there, but looks smooth in routes. Hands look soft, those kind of things. So if you're going to go in a direction and you don't really have anybody, do you want to go with that high upside guy with the opportunity to kind of break out? And I think that would be Santos Silva. I would bring in a tight end basketball player every year. I really would. I would just do it because why not? I mean, like bring in a camp body and see what happens. UDFA him, see, see if you strike gold with one of these guys. Of the people that are not projected to be on the roster, he makes the most sense. You know, kind of talked about Isaiah Weston making the most sense from a UDFA yep. perspective. I think it's obvious in this scenario, Santos Silva is the is the one to point out here, but Again, we have to watch preseason to get a feel for all three of those guys. We still, although we saw Miller Forrestal a little bit, do not have a great feel for him. So, um, yeah. yeah, this is a and mystery would, yeah. past the first tight end. So it's it's just a mystery past those first two. Yeah, and I think the interesting, the thing that stood out to me, and I, I tend to read into things just from a mental health weirdo perspective, but, you know, they announced the Santos Silva signing long before any of their other undrafted free agents, right? Like all of a sudden it was, um, the Browns are announcing they signed this guy and we're all like, wait, they just signed a basketball player. Like there was so much to take in. And then right before rookie mini camp, all of a sudden the Isaiah Westons and all of the other guys, you know, some of the cornerbacks, all of that was announced, um, you know, Felix Harper, all that. So it was really interesting that he was announced separately from all of the other undrafted free agents. Obviously it's a unique story and all of that, but the fact that the the front office decided to put it out there then, but nobody else until right when rookie minicamp was starting kind of said they wanted to make a deal out of this for some reason. And, and mm -hmm. makes me think they have a, a, a high hopes for him. Me too. 
I think they do have high hopes for him. So we'll hope it translates. Listen, we're tight end group. You feel good about the first two. We'll see what happens with the rest of them. We'll see if they end up shaking out a guy at the end of cuts or if they end up just trying to focus down the line on maybe bringing somebody in in the draft. I was a little, a tinge surprised they, surprised they didn't draft a guy this year. So um, it's a transitional position. We'll see how it shakes out. They need great production from the top two guys. Feels like we said the same thing about wide receiver. So health and getting guys to step up to the plate and deliver. That will be paramount for the pass catchers this upcoming season. Jared Mueller, thank you, my friend, for another great preview of the Browns offensive position. Not a problem, partner. Always good to talk to you. Make sure you guys continue to check out Jared's great work. You can find him over at USA Today. He does great stuff. Browns Wire, fantastic stuff they do over there, and Jared is the focal point of their coverage. Continue to check that out, and make sure you continue to support this podcast, Twitch, and website from the OBR as you guys do. You know I appreciate it a ton. We will be back with a full collective offensive. Maybe maybe we'll break it into two. I don't know. We're going to have some different guests on the talk O-line because it's just a fun group, and those guys deserve a lot of attention because they're great ball players. So check out that episode coming up in the next few days. Appreciate you checking out today's episode. Stay safe, be well, and go Browns. Go Browns.